Hello, I am Cody Goff, and this is Jonathan Martin. We are from Game Life Balanced US, and this is the Final Fantasy XV Extravaganza. This is exciting. It is exciting because it's one of the few episodes where I won't be doing all of the work. <laughs> so, this, I'm about to review Final Fantasy XV. I've beaten the game, I've put over 80 hours into it. John has not played it. But I, I got to frame this up. If you're a new t- newcomer to the podcast, John and I have known each other forever. We, part of our friendship originally 20-some years ago was based on us being fans of Final Fantasy IV, which in the U.S. was Final Fantasy II. I think that's, that's pretty accurate, right? That is correct. Yeah. So we are both longtime fans of the series. I have played every main entry in the series except Eleven, as well as all the spinoffs for... Final Fantasy X and thirteen. John, have you played all the main entries? I'm missing... I've played all of the main entries, except for Final Fantasy II. I've never had the opportunity to play it. I've never had a system where I could play that, except now I think it's on PC. Anyway, so I've never played two, and I've never played Final Fantasy X-2, and I've never played... Although I do own that, and I've never played Lightning Returns Final Fantasy thirteen. Three, which is like the next game that I'm going to play. Is it really? It is. So I have like plans to move forward. Uh, but I don't know if those are even considered main entries. I think the only main entry I haven't hit is Final Fantasy 2. Okay. Okay. And we've both played Tactics, and we've both played some of the mobile games. And and, some and I have actually played 11. I did play 11 for a while. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, weird. It, it, it was very difficult. It was a very hard game. I heard it was a kind of a... Well, we, we talked about it in our Final Fantasy fourteen MMO extravaganza, which you can check out at our website, GameLifeBalance.us, or lots of other places we'll talk about later. But I just wanted to give that quick frame, because I did not love Final Fantasy fifteen, and I'm going to be somewhat critical of it. I'm just going to put that out there straight up, because... There's two reasons you're coming to this podcast. One is you're looking for as much information as you can before purchasing Final Fantasy XV. You are looking to validate your already made opinion, and if we uh, do not validate that opinion, we're going to get hate mail. Yeah, that is what you have come. Actually, that is what you've that's, come that's the, to the podcast. That's the second one. <laughs> that's the second one. Look, I, I didn't hate it. Okay, I'm going to say some really critical things, but but I didn't hate it. But I thought it really, really did fall short of what I expected, and, and I'm going to get into exactly why. So if you're on the fence about whether to buy this game, I think it's going to be worth listening to. If you're just here because you want to validate that it's the best game ever and you know Final Fantasy is untouchably good, and you're just going to give us a thumbs down on YouTube and hate mail and things like that, then maybe stop listening. But, but you know, hopefully I, th- I think I have some intelligent things to say about about my criticisms, and and I'll kind of, you know, discuss why. Also, I don't purport to be a game developer, and, you know, I, I don't want to get any messages after this, like, well, you try and make a video game, blah, blah, Like, obviously, no. I'm just a gamer who, who wants to, to kind of share, share his thoughts. So, anyway, with that out of the way, by the way, if you do disagree or want to discuss any of what we're about to talk about, you can email us at unqualifiedpodcast at gmail.com, or you can find contact information for us on gamelifebalance.us. We're also both on Twitter. I'm at producer Cody. He's at Eat Play Game. So if you, if you want to talk about it, like I'm totally down for debate, a respectful debate, if you disagree with this stuff. Now, I think you can question, before we start, I think you can question 
even not being a developer, which neither of us are, I think you can question why something is like the way that it is and say that it's not fun for me as the player. Like it's not, it's not a good system for me as the player. Like just because you say that doesn't mean that you're like offering up a solution that you think would be better. Right. It's just you saying this is the decision you made. And like, for me playing the game, I, it wasn't fun. Like it felt like a bad decision. You can say that. And I think that that's fair. I do too. Uh, but of course, we're up against the internet, which... The, well, I mean, the internet thinks all of it's bad. No ma- I mean, they think all of the opinions are bad. If you like this game, we're going to get hate mail. If we don't like this game, we're going to get hate mail. So, I, I mean, you're just kind of screwed either way. It's true. It's true. I'm actually wearing my, my Distant Worlds music from Final Fantasy concert t-shirt right now. I've been to several North American tours of the Final Fantasy concerts. I mean, I'm a diehard, I'm a diehard fan of this series, right? And I still love Square Enix, and I still think they're going to make a bunch of really, really great games in the future. But this one, oh boy. So, quick game summary. It's Final Fantasy. So, you've got Chocobos, Moogles, Spells. With- Crystals? Crystals, yes. Crystals, okay. Uh, yeah, spells with naming conventions like Blizzara and Thundaga. You have some cinematic sequences, although I will say there are literally three FMVs that I can remember that were kind of in the middle of the game up until maybe the last chapter. Very little cinematic cutscenes. Now, that is going away a little because graphics, in-game native graphics are so good it's not as necessary to put in these high-resolution videos in the middle of the game. Like, the Metal Gear series, for example, the Metal Gear Solid series, for example, has never had a cutscene or an FMV. They show some video footage of something uh, in, in Metal Gear Solid 1, but all of the dialogue scenes and kind of action scenes acted out are just in-game mechanics. It's just in-engine. Yeah, yeah. in-engine. And you're seeing more of that these days, so, so there's that. Uh, let's see, a party system where you've got a party of characters, although it's a bit different in this game, and dungeons. So all the things that make the Final Fantasy games a Final Fantasy game, as well as a unique setting and story just like the rest of the games. So this takes place in a different universe than the other Final Fantasy games. Although I will say this plot is much darker than the other ones. Well, it's it's not as lighthearted as, as many other in the series. The gameplay is also more focused in this edition on real-time action than the traditional turn-based role-playing game setting from the rest of the series. And that was one of the biggest kind of things going into this game that people were set up for is it's no longer, you know, select attack or magic menu. It's now real-time, real action. And that's, that's very different, which I'll talk about. The game is also unique in that it started as a spinoff to Final Fantasy XIII and was in development for 10 years. So it underwent, and that's not an exaggeration, so it underwent a ton of changes in development. Now, refreshingly, I believe, and, well, I believe this is pretty much true, this means that the PlayStation 4 is able to handle, handle everything very smoothly, so mm-hmm. you can play it on a console without worrying about any lag or slowdown. So there's no need, even though John's doing this, there's no need to wait for the PC release for this game. It runs really well on the current generation of of console systems which i like contrast this with maybe borderlands 2 which i played on ps3 and oh my god it's like two frames a second it's it's ungodly slow and laggy i saw a really interesting fact that this game was announced i think it was announced 
like the year the PS3 launched or something like that. Because Final Fantasy 13, because it was announced at the same time as Final Fantasy 13, because it was originally a Final Fantasy 13 spinoff. And so it was announced as an, e- as an E3 along with Final Fantasy 13. And the entire PlayStation 3 came and went. And then the PlayStation 4 came out and has been out for, what, three, four years now. Maybe two years. It's <laughs> a long time. And now it's getting really... It missed an entire console generation. It's been in development for an entire console generation. So it's been a very long time. A very long time. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. Any game development for that long should, by all rights, be a complete mess. Right, a total disaster. A total disaster. And while I do find that a lot of elements of 15 are a total disaster, I will say that there are many things that, that do work reasonably well. And, and overall, it's, I mean, it's certainly not the worst game I've ever played. I think a lot of newcomers to the series will really enjoy the game because they have, they have you know, no expectations, really. Hopefully, and maybe people that aren't so focused on the plot of video games. Oh, look, we can and no, con- and no context. And, and, they won't have any Final, Fan- Final Fantasy context either. Yeah, exactly. So, so you don't need to kind of you, you don't have all these. You don't you like if you're new to this series, you won't approach it with the baggage of having other games in the series that you've played before. Yeah, exactly. So, with that, here's my overall thesis on the game. <laughs> I hope you're ready for this, John. Okay. All right, here's my here's my thesis. It's four sentences. Four or five. No sense of wonder, no plot, poorly structured, egregious flow and play control issues, a melodrama without the fun or sense of adventure that defines the Final Fantasy series. 9 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> so now you have read reviews and it's generally received pretty positive response, right? So I think I read two reviews, and both of the reviews kind of gave it a it there are there are things that are good enough in the game that make it worth playing despite its flaws have kind of been the overall um, kind of the the overall message of the two reviews that I read okay so yeah any I don't know that any one single thing is game breakingly bad about this game but um, that, that overview aside, and, and this is really the mechanical part of it, in terms of the gameplay, I'll nitpick the plot and I'll nitpick the setting and some things I didn't like about it, but at its core, as a video game, the reward system is fundamentally horribly flawed in, in, in all aspects of this game. You are never rewarded properly at any point for anything you do. And there is a terrible lack of any sense of progression at any point in the game. And that, I believe, is the fundamental flaw in this game. So what that means is that you can purchase, for a relatively low cost, the best weapons in the game almost immediately in the game. And no matter what you do later in the game, you can find a secret dungeon and fight all the way to the end and get to the secret boss. Or you can find some really obscure artifact that you need to trade in for some quests. You can do all these things. And no matter what, you are never rewarded with any weapons or accessories that are better than this thing you can just buy somewhere early in the game. What is this thing you can buy? What are, like, it's just like- weapons. It's just weapons at a shop. 
so it, it literally, you can just go to a shop at the very beginning of the game, buy the best weapons for a reasonably low price, and you have better weapons than you can get anywhere. Over the course of the game, are you finding other weapons? Yeah, and none of them are as strong as the ones you've bought. Really? Yeah. That seems really weird. Are these weapons that you buy at the start, are they like progressing as you progress in the game? Or do they just are literally, they start off incredibly strong? They just literally start off the best. You can go to a rest stop in the northwest corner. I know. it's. It, you can go to the rest stop. Sounds it, a little weird. Yeah, you can go to a little outpost thing in the northeast corner of the map. They're expensive, but it's not hard to get gill in this game. And you can buy, let's like for Noctis, there's a sword called the Durandai or something. It's a holy sword. Its attack is around 260. Throughout the rest of the game, even now, even now, I am in a dungeon. I'm at level 77. I've beaten the game. I'm doing post-game content, and I'm still finding swords. Like, I just picked up a blood sword. Its attack is 150. Huh. And it drains energy from enemies, but that's, that's it. It's, it's, it's three-fifths as strong as the sword that I was able to buy in Chapter 2 or 3 of the Does game. Does the... Does the game point you to this? I don't want to get hung up on like super minutia, but I'm just I'm I'm curious about this because it seems really weird. Does the game point you to like go hey go check out this awesome this store with these ridiculous weapons? No, it's it's off the it's not a intended destination at the beginning of the game, but because okay. it's an open world game that's that's that has a non-linear overworld map, sure. It's immediately accessible. And and the developers could have done a zillion things to avoid this. But this is this is just one example of where the game just utterly fails. Because in every other Final Fantasy game, this is not a problem. In Final Fantasy VI, you find this special ore, and then you can choose between an Esper that teaches you Ultima or the Ragnarok Sword, which is really great. And you get this through this special side quest that you have to do, and you, you, you go to this kind of secret location, and it's great. And you feel like, oh, this is awesome. I found this surprise thing, and now I have a really, really strong sword, and I had to make a decision. You know, or in Final Fantasy IV, where you get the ore in the final dungeon of the game, you have to exit the final dungeon, fly back to Earth to have a smithy. Oh, no, no, no. Never mind. It's just a crystal sword. It's just in the treasure chest, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Never mind. It's in the treasure chest. But it's, at the very, it's in the very last dungeon. It's in the very last dungeon. It is in a side path that is invisible, and then you get there, and you have to fight a really strong side boss to get it. And then you're like, oh, I fought this really hard boss. What's my reward? And you get a reward. This game completely lacks any rewards. You are never rewarded for anything. So you do quests. And you do quests, and they give you some gill. And that's pretty much it. Okay. And it's it's... That's the fundamental issue with this game. You can, like I said, I mean, the plot is, is utterly incomprehensible. It might as well not exist. There's lots of issues with the setting and the story and uh, some of the play issues here and there and some of the content of the game. But, like, at its core, that's what frustrated me the most is you're given all these opportunities to explore new dungeons and new areas. But when you do that... You go through, you crush the enemies. Sometimes it's really challenging. Other times it's not. And at the end of the day, you just you have the same equipment. You're not given any extra items. You don't get any extra outfits. You can, you can redress your characters in different outfits. You, you, aren't, you don't get anything out of it. All it is is the gameplay. And that's not how any video game works. 
if you do if you get all 120 stars in Super Mario World, you get the special world or whatever, or you get the you know you get stuff. You get stuff when you beat a game. When you beat hard parts of a game, you get stuff as a player, and you go, oh, that's cool, or oh, that's useful, or or whatever. That doesn't happen in this game. So I'm going to ask you a question about specifically about open world games. Um, have you have you played have you played many open world games? Is that generally a genre that you I would play? say Final Fantasy fourteen? Would you count? That's no, because like like all of the equipment is level gated in that, so there's nothing you have to like. It's it's very kind of strictly regulated yeah. to provide a sense of progression. Okay, I'm referring more to like a Grand Theft Auto or a Saints Row three or a uh, a Fallout three or four or or a Skyrim or. Things like that. Yeah, I, I played some of The Witcher. I have played Metal Gear Solid Five to a ridiculous amount. That is an open world. Yeah, game. sure. And and so I think this is actually a pretty common with a true open world game like a Grand Theft Auto. It is really common not to have a sense of progression with like the power of your character. That's that's a totally common trope of open world games because. If it's an open world, they don't know that like they don't know what you're gonna do first, so they have to make content that kind of is able to be done at all times. Right, and I, I get that, but there are certain dungeons, yeah. for example, if you step into a dungeon and every enemy is level sixty, which means that your party should be at least in the level upper fifties, level right? sixty, sure. Then wouldn't you presume that you would find a weapon in there that is also really strong? Absolutely, I'm not saying that I enjoy that aspect at all of open world games but I'm saying that's like a general design conceit I think that gets made a lot of the time is because it you just because like if if the player discovered that dungeon at level what 30 right I mean the developer has no Mm -hmm. idea that they're going to be there at that point so rather than make the decision oh you just have to mark it and come back they maybe they say if you have good enough equipment you can try it at a much lower level or something right. like that. Right. But it feels like an easy design flaw to fix. It right. feels like it would be easy to it, put a sense of progression in a game that is in a series where every game you fundamentally have a sense of progression. Yeah, you know, this is just, again, this is just an aside, but uh, I think Bethesda has probably one of the longest track records of open world games with Oblivion, Skyrim, Fallout, Mm -hmm. those games. And their solution to progression is the entire world levels up with you and the equipment that the stuff carries changes accordingly. So as you level, the entire world levels up with you and then the entire world of enemies is dropping better and better stuff over the course of the game. Hmm. Does, yeah. does that make sense? And that's that's one way that they also could have done. I mean, there's right. many ways they could have done it, but sure, sure. I just, but the way that they picked was not fun. It's not for fun you. for me. You know, when I'm, I, it's it's the most basic need in a role playing game that when you come across an obscure area or you beat a really hard boss, you get an item and you say, "Oh, cool! I got this item. I'm glad I." I mean, I just think, I just think any part of of like a design of a video game, there's carrot on a stick, mm-hmm. right? That's what it is, is there's a, there's a task that gets put in front of you and there needs to be a reward for the player mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. I saw a screenshot that you posted 
that literally said there is no reward. The reward was the journey itself. Yep. Yeah. Which, in the context of this conversation, makes a lot more sense as to why that was so infuriating. Because I just thought that was like, oh, oh, ha, ha, ha. Very funny. Funny little, like, one-off Square Enix thing. I know. But in the context of no quests ever having rewards... I could see that being pretty infuriating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that specific quest, it's called like the it's scraps of something. So there are fourteen scraps of paper that you have to find throughout the world. There, you have no idea where they are. They're in the most obscure locations. There's one like in an abandoned car in a desert in the middle of a road. I mean, the, the, there's no way on earth you could find these with a strategy guide. So I find them all. With my strategy guide online, mm-hmm. find all 14, travel all around, spend two hours doing this. They each have a clue on them that leads you to the actual piece of the map. So then I have to go 14 times to find 14 pieces of map. And then at the end, I've constructed this treasure map. And minor spoiler, you get to the area where it is. It is a relatively worthless item that not only can you get for free with one of Gladiolus's uh, field skills. One of the characters in your party basically finds items as you walk around and battle in the game. And mm-hmm. literally, this is one of the items he can just find. And it just appears in your inventory. Uh, and all you can do is sell it for a sum of gil that isn't even that high. And you get the treasure, and it is accompanied by a limerick that literally says that the treasure isn't really worth anything, but it's the journey that matters. And this was, like, at least a couple hours of the game, solid, spent just doing that. Did, did you get a hot achievement, I got though? no achievement. <laughs> I didn't even get a PlayStation achievement. This is what I'm saying. It's, it's like, you just do these things, and you just look at the game, and you're just like, why, what is the point of any of this? And it would, it would at least be worth it if any of it served the plot in any way Mm -hmm. but it doesn't and (laughs) that brings me to uh basically just a laundry list of issues that i have with the game that that really that all kind of tied together um and and it's easy for a quest to help build a world and i've seen this and you've seen this in final fantasy 14 i understand or the i mean i think the witcher probably is the best example of that okay as of recent, as of recent single player okay. games, right? Uh, yeah. So, so even if you're doing kind of a, a standard fetch quest where you're just grabbing an item for someone and maybe delivering, you know, oh, bring me the potion from the woods. You must kill a moblin. Okay, you go kill the moblin, bring in the potion. In games like The Witcher and in Final Fantasy XIV, which I understand is is a different genre. It's a massively multiplayer online RPG, but this is still easily doable. You just write some flavor text. And you just say, oh, hey, there are these monsters raiding the woods, and you make him talk about how he's affecting, I don't know, some supply or trade chain or show some personality in a character or something like that that at least kind of builds up the world a little bit. But there is none of that. There are three characters that give you quests in the game, and one is a biologist that hunts frogs. And you don't really understand why. One is this guy with the worst accent I've ever heard. I sent you the video. The guy with the really strong Brooklyn accent. 
the incredibly strong look and accent that just sends you off to get some stones. You don't really know his backstory at any point. And uh, I think there's one other one. Oh, there's there's some random dude that just asks you to get dog tags. And he has very little personality, and it's not interesting or or really good. And then there are hunts. The only other standard side quest is hunts. And you go to a restaurant, they post bills, and they say, okay, cool, we need you to kill these cockatrices, this giant cockatrice. It's, you know, you know, whatever. Every hunt is just wanted for habitat destruction. It's all it says. Every single bill is just a... For every, every single, single one, one literally, is just a picture of the animal, and it says wanted for mm-hmm. habitat destruction, and you go kill it, go back, and you get the reward... There's no flavor text. There's nothing immersing you in the world. There's nothing explaining why this was a big deal. All it is is wanted for habitat destruction. So these okay. quests don't add anything to the game. They're just there to get you experience points. It's extremely frustrating because there is so much with this plot and with this setting in this world that are left completely and utterly unexplained. It is an offense to anyone who has ever written or read a story. Okay, before we move on to plot then, I have one more question about progression before we can kind of put this particular topic to rest. Generally in role-playing games, or actually most games now, there's a sense of projection of... of, um, uh, It can come from... It can come from equipment that you find that is better than the equipment that you currently have, or the progression can come from the experience that your characters accumulate to then level up in a variety of ways, maybe maybe um, put into different ability points or things like that, whatever. That's like general game design for a lot mm-hmm. of games now. Is there progression among your characters based on that? Like not based on the equipment that you find, but based on like the experience yeah, you that gain they gain? levels. And there is a skills sure. tree called the Ascension Tree, and... You do pick okay. up some, some skills that make your party more cohesive and gives your characters better abilities. So, And how does that feel in that terms feels, of progression? Does that feel like standard that and feels good? pretty solid. I think it kind of maxes out kind of early because things become really, really prohibitively expensive somewhat early on in terms of, okay. in terms of AP. So, I mean, I got, I got probably, to, there's, I think, around 15 chapters in the game. I was in maybe 10 or 11. And by that point, I would have to play... A long time before I could unlock even one new ability. So, you know, once okay. you get around level 60, I would say, it kind of caps out and it, it tapers off and it's much harder to really unlock anything. Um, but up until then, yeah, you, get, you can get some things here and there that are pretty helpful. Okay. So the, there's not no sense of progression, but it's the rewards in doing, in completing certain tasks that is totally lacking. And that's, that's an issue. So okay. um, I won't hope harp on the plot too much because you've probably read this, but the plot is completely incomprehensible. I mean, most of the reviews basically just give you the setup, which from my understanding is you and your bros go on a road trip because you're going to like meet a girl that you're going to marry. Mm -hmm. And then um, very early on in the road trip, and we usually talk spoilers in games, but this would be considered a spoiler, I guess. But like very early on, the neighboring country invades your country. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the setup to the game. And that's pretty much all I know about it. Yeah. That's pretty much all that happens. I mean, that sounds like a story. Mm, 
No one depending on like what happens with the you know the a neighboring country invading another country sounds like a decent setup to a story. Yeah, it's not though. Okay. Uh, at, at no point are you given anyone's motivation. You don't know why anyone is invading anyone. You don't know why anything is happening. Um, there very early on in the game, one of the main villains or one of the main like kind of leaders of the evil empire joins your party and shows you around and helps you do stuff. And then like in the next chapter, he's super evil and trying to kill you. And then like a chapter later, he's helping you again. Hmm. It's, it's insane. Like literally he tries to kill you. And then there's, there's a scene where you, your, your, your party has to, there's a minor spoiler, like has no choice, but there's an Imperial kind of airship and they're like, Oh my God, we're going to stay here and die or we have to get on this airship. And and you're thinking, oh, my God, like, I'm about to get on the Imperial airship. What happens next? And literally, literally, John, there's a loading screen, and then it's you and your party in a town all saying, wow, that was crazy. And <laughs> that's it. That, that almost sounds like a Family Guy joke. I'm not exaggerating. Like, you oh, were that's... picked up by an evil Imperial freighter and... Then you're in a town. Oh, crap. Like, what? The, any sense of basic logic in storytelling is gone. I did not know. Isn't that crazy what just happened to us and now we're all okay? <laughs> I did not know two-thirds into the game whether the villain was a bad guy or not. So, also, as of the second chapter of the game, randomly, all the time, throughout the entire game... Uh, one of the people in your party will say, Imperials above us! And there's an airship carrying Imperial troops, and they drop a bunch of Imperial troops, and then they can fight you. So if you're not moving around on the map quickly enough, or if you linger, or you're trying to get to a certain area, maybe a bunch of Imperials will pop down, and you have to fight them before you move on. This is happening even when the evil Chancellor of the Evil Empire is literally trying to help you do things. So what is it? Are they evil? Do they want you dead? Or do they want you successful? Because both things are happening. I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily out of the question for people in a government to not agree with, like, their chancellor. It's dumb. It's <laughs> dumb. It's really dumb. There is a chapter okay. where Roman reigns... So, by the way, I call Gladiolus Roman reigns because he's... Is that because he looks like... I don't, I don't know what a Roman Reigns is. He's a WWE guy. He's Roman okay. Reigns. So Roman Reigns literally leaves for a chapter and comes back and there's no explanation or reason at all. He just says, who knocked? I got some stuff to take care of. And then you go, okay. And he leaves. He's like, thanks. And he disappears. And then at the beginning of the next chapter, he comes and says... Missed you guys. Hope you're okay without me. That's literally... <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really confused by, by this game there's, and what's happening. There's no explanation. And, and I've, read, I've read somebody be like, oh, well, maybe they'll explain it or explore it in future DLC. Like, no, that's not okay. You don't fill in plot holes with DLC after a role-playing game drops. Like, massive gaping plot holes. So it's dumb. Um, there's weird sexual tension between your character and Gladiolus' sister that is never explored or explained and is just kind of really awkward. Um, 
the woman you talked about that's engaged to Noctis is some kind of oracle and that her powers or or responsibility or usefulness or role are never really explained in any way. She just kind of has some vague magical prophetic something or another that doesn't tie in with anything and you don't really know why she's important or to whom she's important. Um, there are character developments, significant character developments near the end of the game that should affect gameplay or story, and they don't at all. They're just dropped. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get into that because it's very spoilery. Um, near the end of the game, it actually felt like they were introducing plot points as they went along. I'm not even kidding. As of chapter 13 or 14, uh, there's a scene with the crystal and something happened chapter, chapter 13 is already like the infam- the infamous one in the game that they're actually patching wait what do you mean that's chapter th- so they're patching in story content which is this whole controversy going on right now but they're patching in story content to explain chapter 13 because chapter 13 was such like in a a unanimously agreed upon mess <laughs> So they're actually patching in story content, which is a big controversy because people are upset because they feel like they didn't, they're didn't they not getting the whole game based on the first playthrough. And you're not going to be able to just go back and like see it. You're going to have to either have your game being played before that or play the whole game again. Wow. Right. So I'm not alone here. Uh, that's good. I literally laughed out loud at the ending. Okay. Because... It made so little sense. Like there... <laughs> that's too bad. That's too bad. I, some some people were describing the ending as like touching. So that's too bad. So I watched a 15 minute YouTube video explaining the ending, and the ending is actually extremely well done if you understand what's going on. But the plot is so bad, so badly explained up until that point mm-hmm. that there's no way to know what's going on. Like I'm watching this video and it says, Oh, well this character is doing this and this character is doing this. And I'm like, what? This is all new information to me. <laughs> it's not cause I wasn't paying attention. Oh my God. Um, this is really bad. So I, I won't, um, I will say there are two accompanying productions to this. There's King's Glaive, Final Fantasy, 15, which is a, a CGI film that came out. It's got some good voice actors like Lena Headley and uh, Sean uh, Sean Paul, who played who played Jesse Pinkman. Not Aaron Sean Paul. Paul. Aaron, Aaron Paul. Paul. Aaron Paul. Is this Aaron uh, Paul. is this something that you can find like online or? Yeah, I think I watched it. Uh, what did I find? I found it somewhere. Okay. Um, and there's an so I watched King's Glaive. That does nothing. It, does, it tells you nothing. All it does is it details the scenes of the war from inside the city, but it really gives you no additional anything. Okay. And there's an anime, and it's an anime miniseries, five episodes, and it details the relationship between Noctis and everyone in the party. Okay. That is vital to understanding any, anyone's relationship with Noctis. None of their backstory is explored anywhere in the game at all. Okay. You have you have no idea who Gladiolus is or Ignis or Prompto. Otherwise, or, this just looks like a, a road trip. It looks like a bro trip. Yeah, I mean they're they're pals. You you can infer, but you don't know any of their origins. So, um, highly recommend watching the anime that you can find on YouTube. I know it's there. Prompto gets one scene early on in the game. So it's pl- playing uh you know four or five hours in the game, and I stop. What's a rest. Prompto? Prompto is the blonde who I will get to. I'm sorry, a character? The the party is not okay, just a, as... a Prompto is a character. Yeah, Prompto a, is a Prompto. Okay. 
A pro- no, it's just prompto. Okay. So you have a prompto in your party. The 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 party is Noctis, Ignis, Gladiolus, and Prompto. Prompto is the goofy blonde one. So without, without an S at the end of his name, he's already an outcast. An S, not Promptos. There's no A at the beginning either. It's not a Promptos. It's just Prompto. Okay. So you get a scene at a hotel a couple hours in the game, and Prompto and Noctis. Prompto gets up. He says, "Oh, I can't sleep." And then Prompto and Noctis have this conversation, and it's interactive. And he talks a little bit about their backstory, and it's tender. And you think, "Oh, cool character development." That's the only time that happens. There is no such scene for Ignis or for Gladiolus. Or, or ever again. Anyone. It's just Prompto. It's like the writers said, hey, this is a good idea. Wrote one scene and then stopped. Hmm. So, you know. Anyway, no one seems to be affected by the war going on whatsoever. Literally the entire setting is just a giant sprawling desert with gas stations. There are no stakes. I don't know what anyone's fighting for. Literally everyone in your home thing of um, insomnia is the kingdom you're from everyone in insomnia is dead you go to this awful is city dead? leader yeah it, I, i'm pretty sure everyone's just completely dead. okay like there's no there's no there's no seems like a, that seems like a silly empire to take over it, yeah no no and then you get to an area in the empire and everyone is dead like it seems like there's a, an empire of like 10 soldiers and a bunch of robots <laughs> and no people that invade your kingdom and just murder everyone. Okay. And then later in the game, there's a giant city that's just like utterly destroyed later. That It's just everything and everyone is dead or dying and is so bleak. There's And, and everyone is so blasé in the gas station culture around it that you're just like, no one cares. <laughs> everyone's dead like it's so stupid your first rest stop is is at some gas station and the people don't even treat you like a prince you're supposed to be a prince and they're all just like oh well, that car repair will be 30 bucks <laughs> and like that's that's how they treat you so it's like they don't care about the royalty it's 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 bad i will say that i think i i think it actually fits into the narrative you could read into it as a ruling class versus working class theme because by the end of the game, you realize this whole thing is kind of about a spat between this evil chancellor and your f- character's father. Mm-hmm. And it kind of fits into the narrative that, like, the, the, petty, uh, the petty spats between the ruling class are just their spats. And they don't matter to literally anyone but, like, three people in the world. Sure. But they affect everyone in the world because they're what cause wars and explosions and things like that. So... Okay. Want to do, do a literary reading? There's probably something there, but in my notes under setting, I just have not fun. Final Fantasy set in a trailer park. Um, here's my question: Why am I hanging out in a '50s diner? This is not fantastical. All right, I get that Final Fantasy as a series departed from the medieval deal in Final Fantasy VII, and they went all steampunk. Mm-hmm. Eight has lots of modern elements, but it's still pretty fantastical. Nine went medieval again. T- ten is is uh, ten's, fan- fanta- ten's fantastical in a very different way. It's so stylized; it still always feels like you're in a very uh, fantastical environment, right? Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it feels like it's based on a religion that, like you and I, don't have a lot of a lot of experience with. Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. not naming a specific one, just like some vague other 
weird religion that is much different than what we are exposed to. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Um, the beginning of this game, you start with a car breaking down. You bringing it to an auto repair shop. That sounds next, like fun. Next like, to a 50s diner. I love going to the mechanic and paying for car repairs. In fact, that's on my top 10 list of things to do. Well, that's good because they're coming out with a, a DLC called uh, Final Fantasy XV Jiffy Lube Simulator. <laughs> brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Okay. Okay, so you have to do some kind of... Um, some some kind of basic tasks, okay? Yeah, it's it's dumb. I mean, you look at the setting, and John, you go to a diner, and there are those crappy white plastic chairs that people have on their lawns. You, like it's 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 a trashy trailer parky, not fun. There's bags of garbage everywhere. Like it's literally a juxtaposition of kind of a modern day Japan in certain areas with rural America with garbage everywhere. It's not aesthetically pleasing. Every city is completely full of dead people, and the world is bleak and terrible. And, and I think a lot of this came from the fact that it was not originally a main series game, but was a spinoff. But I, I hate the entire art direction and setting. None of it is cohesive or fun. Like, none of it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> you just look around and there's there's shipping containers and and gas canisters and crap everywhere. There's just crap and trash everywhere and gas stations. That's this world, John. It's Final Fantasy fifteen. Crap and trash and gas stations. Okay, how much how much more do you have on the plot and, and world building and setting? Is there almost, Okay, I'm you're almost, almost done? done. Okay, then I'll, so, I'll let you keep going then because I have a question. Done. I had a question to try to transition somewhere else. So, okay. Prompto? You know that I said? Uh, the, one without the, the one without the S at the end of his name. Wait, what? What part? Oh, God. Okay, hold on. My girlfriend was just yelling at me. There's also a restaurant that is extremely bourgeois, and she hates it. This is the other thing. You're going between really trashy, crappy, like, r- super rural America gas station garbage to these ultra bougie, like, they're playing accordion in the background. It's just, like... I'm going to... I'm going to tell you something. Tell me something. That you uh that you may not like, but this is pretty much exactly the way that Final Fantasy 12's world is structured. I disagree completely. There are definitely some small outposts of basically nothing in the middle of the world with a few like really really upscale cities kind of dotted throughout. I can see that. I mean, they're super varied in terms of, like, the... Like, it's not just all a desert, which it kind of sounds like this is. Mm-hmm. There's forests and forests and seaside towns and stuff like that. But generally, it's, that is a, it is a, sounds like a similar structure-styled open world. Anyway, mm-hmm. so, bougie city, bougie restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other thing, uh, just about the voice acting. I turned on the Japanese voice actors halfway into the game because I had to. Sydney who is the super slutty, overly sexualized version of Sid in this game, has a really, really thick, horrible southern accent. I was in North Carolina visiting my girlfriend's family two weeks after this game came like out. Like horribly done? Horribly She's, done? It's horribly done. Like, okay. and Because they, they, I went to a place where they have southern accents and they sounded fine. This did not sound fine. I looked up the voice actor. She is a, vo- she's a, a TV series actor who's done like CSI and all these other crime shows. She has no accent. It's very bad. Prompto, I turned off because everything he says is, oh, hey guys, can't wait for this. And I kept joking that he sounds like Michelangelo from the Ninja Turtles, so I called him Michelangelo. 
I went on his IMDb profile. He played Michelangelo in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutants in Manhattan last year. He is literally Michelangelo. So Prompto is Michelangelo. So turn off who Prompto. Is, who is the worst turtle? Everybody knows that. Michelangelo is the worst turtle. I agree. Yeah, he's the worst Donatello turtle. Donatello is my favorite. I actually like Donatello the most as well. So... Uh, you can transition. The next thing is about the open worldness. Actually. So, okay, well then that is what we can talk to talk about next. The, I just, I definitely want to hear about. So we've basically talked about all of like the building of the world of the game, but we mm-hmm. haven't mentioned at all the act of playing the game. So I want to make sure we at least talk about that a little bit. Yeah, game gameplay is definitely my that's okay. I'll do. So open world, open world exploration, not engaging or fun. It, for the first significant part of the game. You aren't allowed to drive. You're allowed to set destinations. And people you can, drive you, you. Yeah, Ignis drives. It is cool. I will, I will say something nice about the game. It is cool. You can listen. You buy in, um, in shops around the world. You buy soundtracks to Final Fantasy games. And you can play past Final Fantasy soundtracks while you're driving. That is really cool. It's pretty cool. Um, I think that D- the Dissidia soundtrack is the only one you need because it has the best mixes. Um, there are only two discs for Final Fantasy fourteen, but there are four discs for Final Fantasy eleven. I thought that was annoying, um, but whatever. And the soundtracks from one through six are the crappy remake mixes from like the DS games. So I wouldn't listen to anything before seven. Okay, that's me being picky. Um, there's also an MP3 player you can actually play as you're running around the map. So if you want to listen to music, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Whenever it's nighttime. This whole cutscene happens where Ignis says it's not safe to drive at night. And he stops you and gives you crap. You cannot drive anywhere at night. If you try to get in your car at night, he will stop you. And there is a 20-second scene where he talks to you about how it's foolish to drive at night. There's monsters about. Basically, it's what a horrible night to have a curse, Mm -hmm. but four times longer. It is the dumbest worst game decision in this game okay it is a waste of time and it's dumb and it makes the open world feel a lot less open when you're being nagged and forced to watch 30 second cutscenes, insisting you don't drive it's not unreasonable nobody drives at night it's so dumb it's so dumb chocobos would be fine because you get chocobos but you have to keep renting them and i don't know why Every, every little rest stop, you have to go to a little thing and, and pay for up to seven days of rental time. Why? You have a chocobo whistle. You can call them anytime. There's no reason to ma- put this dumb, arbitrary, like, oh, by the way, don't forget to put some money in the meter. Literally, you're putting money in a meter. It's like parking. It's like parking simulator. That sounds fantastic. See, again, all my favorite things, bringing my car to the shop and paying for oil changes and other car repairs, paying parking meters when I park downtown. Yeah. This is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. When you drive, you just hit auto, you put in the destination and you just watch them drive. And it'll give you in the in the menu how long it takes. So if you want to get to some outpost far away, you can pop it in. It says nine minutes. Boom, you hit it. And you watch Ignis drive for nine real-time minutes. That's a long time. That's a long time. That's the kind of open world we're talking about. Fast travel is available pretty quickly in the game to any destination you've been to. All I do is fast travel. Sure. Problem with that is load time. Okay. It is bad. That'll be solved on a PC. That, I think, may be solved on a PC. But we're talking... I was doing a, a chain of quests where I knew where I was going, and I was fast traveling. Boom, boom, boom. 
over an hour and a half, two hours, probably 30 to 40% of that time was spent loading. That's a long time. Yeah, it was bad. So let's talk about the open world and running around. So let's say you're on a chocobo, you're, you're running around these areas. The open world itself is not that open, John, and there are invisible walls mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah, that, I, you, that's kind of a, a pretty common way to, to art, like, artificially enclose the characters. Right. You know? This is extremely poorly done. Okay. There are roads where you need to get off the road to run towards a dungeon, and you cannot jump over the guardrail of the road. You have to go to a certain place in the road to get off that road. Sure. There's no reason. There's no reason. It is terribly done. It is terribly done. There are also bushes everywhere. So you'll be running, and it's a field, and oh, that's great. And then all of a sudden, there's these bushes. Oh, if you get anywhere near these bushes... You don't want to screw with these bushes. You can't go past these bushes. Except for the, the, the 30% of bushes, you can run through perfectly fine. Oh. So you're running through a field, and you're running through bushes, and look, I just ran through a bunch of bushes. Then suddenly, you're stuck between two bushes, because there's an invisible wall that is arbitrarily placed, and you cannot get past. Moving around in this game is the most frustrating part of the gameplay experience. Moving. Okay. <laughs> so You're like, probably going to be doing some of that in the game. Probably. So these are my problems with that. Um, and then I'm sure you've seen memes about this, but picking up items off the ground... Haven't seen any memes. It's tied to the X button. The X button is also jump. Oh. The detection and the registering that the game does on when you can pick up an item... Pretty sensitive. Pretty much every time you walk up to an item to try to pick it up, you just jump. And you have to okay. land and wait a second until it gives you the prompt to pick it up. Sometimes I'll run up to an item and jump up and down three times before I pick up the damn item. Yeah, that doesn't sound like much fun. It's really bad. It's really bad. Um, so there's that, coupled with no real rewards for exploring. So let's say I find a bunch of crap on the ground. None of it's good or useful. Like I didn't need, you know, it's one of those, like if a millionaire stops to pick up a hundred dollar bill, he's actually lost money. Cause he right. really, like that's this game. Like if you're running around in a field, if you stop to pick up something, it's a waste of your time. Um, you literally never pick up anything powerful beyond that base I talked about at the start of this episode. Um, the best weapon is, Oh, there's, there's this. I'll get into that in a second. Um, now let's talk about battle. Do you have yeah, any more questions what, about the exploration? I don't. I don't. Um, so battle, magic would be cool. You can, you, can, uh, you can craft these spells, and that's great, but you destroy your party when you use spells. So let's say there's a bunch of enemies appear, and you target one, with, and you're about to cast Fyra, and then I cast Fyra. Well, now everyone on your party is on fire and losing health. Huh. There is no way to avoid this. Okay. There is no way to avoid this. I, like, you cast a spell, your party takes damage. There's an accessory late in the game that lets you avoid this, and it, it just says, like, oh, no one in your party can take damage from the spells you cast. But other than that one item, you will hurt your party every time you cast a spell. So, gr- good job you're casting spells. Um, uh, it, it's... The battle, it really isn't that in-depth. You basically hold circle for a lot of it. You remember Final Fantasy thirteen? your review of it, and what you liked about the battle system? Yeah. What did you say about that? 
I believe I said that I liked that you were kind of a conductor. It felt like it felt like you were orchestrating the battles without direct control. You were just by just by just choosing roles that your characters were fulfilling in battle rather than actually controlling them directly, which you could do. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like you were the orchestra conductor rather than the uh, rather than the individual instruments, and I thought that was cool. You also said, I believe, that you were always engaged even with the simple battles, right? Yeah, you had to be. I definitely said that because you could you could die. I mean, it was it was uh, tuned in a way so that you could die from normal battles if you weren't paying attention. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's the opposite of this game. You can kind of just totally space out, and you can use items all the time at any point in battle. The, the kind of catch is that if Noctis loses all his hit points and he his hits, then... then then you get a game, game over. over. But sure. if you hit zero hit points, you have probably five seconds where you can hit R2 and use a Phoenix down, and it brings you back to full health. So it's very hard to die in the game. Um, there's just no strategy, and I, I, it, it is pretty fun. You know, it, it gives you the little, the little um, you know, those little boosts of, uh, of whatever. What is it when you like something in your brain? Dopamine. dopamine, right? You get a little dopamine boost from, you know, all the pretty colors and the flashing, but uh, timing doesn't matter. There's no real reason to be strategic. You can just kind of mash or whatever. Um, right. So it's, yeah, it's just kind of, uh, it's, it's not very in-depth. I, I think it's well done the way your team works together, and I, I think that the AI is pretty good oh, in general, but it, it's just kind of not, not really high stakes. Um, just like the rest of this game, nothing, nothing there's no stakes anywhere uh, you know, except for when it shows an extreme close-up of a meal that Ignis cooks, uh, which which is is mm-hmm. often you've seen some of the the food pictures, right? Oh yes, food looks yes. To, food lots looks of food. so good, lots of food. So the way you level up in this game, John, is that you um, you gather experience over time, but the experience only registers to your characters once you rest somewhere, right? So like right. you're getting thirty thousand experience points until you camp or stay at a hotel. You don't get that experience registered, and you don't level up. So camping is really great because Ignis cooks meals that give you boosts when you camp. So you camp, you cook a filet, and it gives your characters plus 300 attack and plus 20% experience points for the next you know, hour or whatever. Sure. That's fine. Only problem is when you camp, you get the experience points registered. When you go to a hotel, you get double the experience points. So there's literally no reason to not stay at a hotel. You, right, you're always you always go to a hotel. hotel because you get twice or sometimes three times as much XP. Right. So um, so it's kind of like a built-in flaw. Uh, and and then if you want the food anyway, you want you know you don't get the the cooking from the hotels, but you can just go to a restaurant next to the hotel and order food, and it does the same effect. So you're not missing anything. Um, okay. So the experience thing is is kind of kind of messed up. And then the weapons, you know, I talked about the weapons being the best ones you get. Noctis gets these weapons that are from his ancestors. He gets these royal arms. And the royal arms, you would think, you do get like 12 or 13 royal arms throughout the game that you can find. And you would think, oh, these are cool items I can, I can use. Well, hold on. Whenever you use a royal arm, the entire time you're using it, your health drains rapidly. So you never, you you never want to use them. Okay, okay. Except for one royal arm that has like 500 attack, you literally get it in chapter two. And it is the strongest royal arm. Okay. Until one way later in the game. So, uh, 
you know, you've already got the strongest royal arm and the strongest regular weapons in chapter two. Right on. <laughs> it's like, all right, I guess equipment doesn't matter. So, um, yeah, there's just, yeah, you, and, and summons. Summons are literally gods that end battles. You just hold L2 to summon. A god shows up and kills everything. Oh, okay. they, appear, well, I mean, that's... they appear at complete random. You don't, um, you don't do anything to get them. <laughs> they just. All right. The music cue will change, and it will say. And you're like, oh, there's a summon yeah, it'll coming. Say, Press L2 to summon, and you do it, and you win the battle. Okay. Sounds sounds all right. So it's it's uh, yes, yeah, so it's it's not hard. It's not hard. So um, that's the gameplay. Do you have questions about the gameplay? Nope. That sounds great. <laughs> you're just sounds real. It sounds really you're good. Just over how much I hate this. You're game. selling. You're selling me on it. You're selling me on I it. I know. I know. Um, the only other thing I have to say is Altitia is the worst city ever made. You go to this okay. big grand city and it's a maze. Is that the one with all the water? Yeah. Okay. It is so. It looks beautiful in pictures. It's so poorly done. Okay. Like, that's cool. It twists and turns and there's dead ends everywhere and you don't know how to navigate. And the map is ugly and hideous. Like if you pull up the map. The map in this game is a black and white blob that you can't even zoom into, really. Like, the map is the ugliest map I've ever seen in any video game. It's hideous. You can't tell what's where. Just look and search Final Fantasy XV map, and you'll see this black and white garbage. It's dumb. Okay. Um, and the last thing I have to say is that, and I know this was really pretty unbearable for the last 20 minutes, um, is that Chapter 14 is literally unplayable. It is so bad and so long. It's so bad and so long. Um, it is the worst last two chapters of any Final Fantasy game. There's nothing fun or challenging about any of it. Well, that's too bad. It's really, really bad. It is so anticlimactic. So I feel like I got kind of negative there near the end. Yeah, just near the end, though. Just near the end. So if you had to rate this um, on a scale between 9 and 10, mm-hmm. what would you rate this game? 13-2. So you didn't really sell me on it. Um, I will say I still have every intention of playing it. I, I You should. You, you, sh- you as a Final Fantasy fan, it's a little disheartening to hear how much you disliked it. But I will say that um, one thing that Final Fantasy has always done is take chances with their games um, rather than, you know, other than the setting and the, um, like certain, certain like monsters and th- and equipment names and stuff like that. Other than that, generally Final Fantasy games try to change quite a bit between the major iterations of Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, like a, cer- certainly the major numbered ones. Um, and so there are some Final Fantasy games out there that are. In fact, I would say that ever since like seven, there have been Final Fantasy games that have pretty much been pol- like they've all been polarizing. Pretty polarizing. All, yeah. all of all of them. So there are people that are uh, that Final Fantasy X is their favorite Final Fantasy game, and I think it's one of the worst ones that came out since seven. Mm-hmm. There are people that love eight, which that I don't understand at all. Like I understand why people like ten. I don't understand why people <laughs> like eight at all, right? But there are people that absolutely love it. I love Final Fantasy Nine. There's a lot of people that don't like how archaic that is. Because it, it very much is. Yeah, so I like, don't actually love it. Right. So there's I think there are there are people out there that will probably love fifteen. Right? Yeah. And and I loved twelve and you did not like twelve, so I'm hoping that maybe it'll hold true for 15 as well. And I'll like 15 
And you sounds like you would give 15 about a 9 out of 10, which isn't that good. It's not a 10 out of 10. Mm, no. I, I wish I could lend it to you, but I have the digital edition. Right. So that's sad. I'll but. wait to pay for it later. Right. Oh, right, because you wouldn't play it till it's PC anyway. Right. And can I also say, despite everything I just said, I actually plan to continue playing it because, let me tell you why, there is some post-game content that that is fun. I actually just entered an optional dungeon that is a puzzle dungeon, and it's a puzzle platformer dungeon, really. There's, there's pretty much no combat. It's just you. You actually enter alone as Noctis, and it's just you, and you platform around this 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 kind of area. The play control is not really tight. It's not super great, but it's fun and it's it's different. And there is a series of really high-level dungeons that get unlocked once you've completed kind of everything else that will allow for some really high-level boss battles and, and maybe a couple other things. So, And I'm sure the rewards for all those will be great. They'll be worthless. But there's some post-game content that I think will present enough of a challenge to kind of make it worth it. I think it's too little too late. I, I would have liked to have gotten to some of this more kind of fun, challenging stuff before I had beaten the game and done 80 hours of the game. So, you know, it's not that every single aspect of this game is terrible, but as a Final Fantasy experience, by the time I beat the game, I'm just looking back and I'm like, I don't feel like I really progressed much. I don't feel like I fulfilled any kind of story. And, and I wasn't rewarded in, in, in terms of any kind of plot or, or some of the gameplay elements I would have hoped for. But again, like I said, you know, post-game, I think, I think there's some promising stuff. And since I'm here, I might as well do it. But, well, I mean, you, you remember one of the biggest critiques of Final Fantasy thirteen was if you just pay, play 35 hours, it'll get good. Yes. So for Final Fantasy fifteen, if you just play 80 hours, it'll get good. And that's the funny thing, because I love thirteen. Yeah, we like both actually too. did. Yeah, we I both like love thirteen. I played thirteen twice the year it came out, and I have not done that with Final Fantasy since seven or eight. Like I, I still haven't even replayed Final Fantasy nine. Ever. Sure. And so, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't mind having a huge investment, but at least with thirteen, the difference is that thirty-five hours, you're getting a really good story. At least I thought. I liked yeah. the characters and I liked yeah, the story. I did too. That it, yeah, you know, I, I liked that story a lot. Yep. And there was a, you always kind of knew why you were doing everything and, and what the reasons were. And this is just kind of a bunch of guys flailing around. Um, so, you know, put it on Japanese subtitles, uh, Japanese language, English subtitles. You can put it on Japanese subtitles if you want to read Japanese. But, uh, yeah, pop them on. You know, give, give, the, give the English voice actors a shot if you want. But, uh, you know, go Japanese when you can and uh, just, you know, enjoy it if you want. Sweet. I just, I like 14 better. Well, listen. go back to 14. If you want to hear more about Final Fantasy games, you can probably go back uh, into past episodes of ours. I think if you just search our webpage as Final Fantasy, you'll probably come up with every one of our podcasts. Well, every one of our podcasts pop up. I don't know, it's a series we talk about a lot. Cody and I have a lot of affinity <laughs> yeah. for it. We have a lot. We have a lot of experience with it. Um, but if you want to hear other episodes about other Final Fantasy games that are a little more in depth, you can find those on our website. Yeah, I'm sorry you didn't like it so much. It had so much potential, and and you know the, the thing is, you cruise around the map, and there's there's cool spots. Like I drive up, and it says Rebel Base, basically. Not really, but it said something like Rebel Outpost. And I'm thinking, oh, later in the game, there'll be some rebel-like story. And there's a giant meteor in the middle of the map. And, and you think, oh, yeah, there's going to be some thing tied to the meteor mm-hmm. that will make sense. And just none of it materializes. 
there's all this potential and there's all these stories that and maybe part of it is they just it's like an old school RPG where you make your own stories yourself a little bit. Maybe that's some of it. I don't know. But uh but but there's there's a lot there but it doesn't it's not deep. There's no depth. It doesn't ever go under the surface. It's just kind of flat. What's your favorite Final Fantasy game? Probably 13-2. Yeah. Is Boonavelza your favorite villain? Boonavelza is my favorite villain. Absolutely. Can we call this podcast Boonavel? Oh, I had a note in my in my I had a note in my notes like, "Oh, we should call our podcast this." But I don't remember where I put it. Darn, that's It's a good way to close. That's a good way is to it? close. Is that the good way to close? Mhm. It doesn't matter we're not live. You can edit out whatever you want at the end here. Yeah, but I'm not going to edit anything. You can edit this sentence that I'm finishing in a second. Oh, actually, right now. <laughs> For I was going to say I can't play I can't play much more Final Fantasy 15 because girlfriend burnout is setting in and mm-hmm. we should just call our new our new name of our podcast should be girlfriend burnout. Girlfriend burnout. Because yeah. what I play is somewhat dictated by how sick of seeing a game my girlfriend is and yeah. she is so over this game. Yeah. She was over 14 as well. So you needed a break from 14. She was over 14 because I played it all the time. She's over this game because it's just It's just awful. Bad. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Well, thanks for putting up with that, John. That was probably a lot for you to take in. No, that was good. Anyway, thank you, listener, for listening to this somewhat negative episode of Game Life Balance US. I promise most of the time when we talk about games, we actually like them quite a lot. We try to stay positive, but I feel like there's plenty of positive press around Final Fantasy 15 already. I just wanted to tell you from from one jaded, apparently, gamer's perspective why it just was not my favorite. I just could not... There was no way to get into it, and uh, even though some of this post-game stuff could be fun, I, I just... Man, that 80 hours, it just, none of it was, none of it was fun, like really fun. None of it, at no point was I like, oh, this is awesome, or this is cool, or oh, I'm really glad I did this. It's just kind of, it's kind of was there and ended, and and I just felt just not, not, not amazing afterwards, so. But anyway, I do thank you for listening to this Game Life Balance US podcast. This is the American edition of the Game Life Balance podcast. Please like, share, subscribe, or do something else social if you enjoyed this episode. And actually, just please tell one friend about us if if you thought that we were reasonably entertaining and you don't mind that we went really negative this episode um and leave us a review on itunes or whatever if you want to really hook us up you can find us on the gonna geek network at gunnageek.com or on the official podcast network of chicago's wgn radio at wgnradio.com is that right you can find us on the gonna geek network at gunnageek.com and you can learn more about game life balance including contact information and links to our sister show in australia at game life balance us thanks for listening